Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the name of our God. He is worthy, amen. We serve a great king, do we not? There is no one like him, no one like him, hallelujah. If you would stand with me, please open your Bibles to the book of Revelation chapter 4. And I think that you will be, um, I don't know, surprised maybe, that what we just sang is what we're going to read right now. What we just, literally, the songs that we sang is what we're reading is going on. And I hope that encourages you as we read these words. Look at what it says. When you got it, say so. Revelation 4 verse 1, it says, After these things I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24, el- 24 thrones. And on those thrones uh, saw, I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes. And they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunders, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea like glass, like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne, there were four living creatures full of eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second like a creature like a calf. The third like a living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures each have six wings were full, of, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and who and is and is to, go, to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created lord we worship you and we thank you god that we get to enter into this sacred and holy place not this building per se but god into the heavenlies lord God, as we gather, we are gathered with these elders. We are gathered with these living creatures. We are gathered before this throne. Lord, open our eyes that we may see these truths as real, God. Open our eyes that we may understand the the magnitude of Your majesty, God. Let us understand that the, the realm 
realm of the spirit that we see described here is present, is not far away like in the chronicles of Narnia. It is not a fictitious place, but God, it is a real realm in which we dwell. Lord God, open our eyes to see, Lord. Let us live before your throne, Lord, humbled before your majesty, recognizing that there is one creator God, that there is one who is worthy, that there is one who our worship should point toward God. It is you. So Lord, give us ears. Give us ears to hear this morning. Captivate our minds. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone said, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you need an outline, just raise your hand and the ushers will be sure to get you an outline. We want you to be able to follow along, take some notes, hopefully share this with someone else. If you need a pen as well, they have pens there, so if you forgot that, you can get a pen. It's important, I think, when you think about God, we serve a God who is speaking always. Let me say it again. We serve a God who is speaking always. The question is, are we listening? The question is, are we paying attention to what he is saying? Are we open to his voice? And are we attentive to his voice? And are we ready to take action? In your outline, there's a couple of questions that are always there at the end of the outline. The three main points change weekly as the message changes, but those questions are there consistently. What do you think or what do you believe the Lord spoke to you today? And what will you do about it in this week? How will you apply what it is that God spoke. And so I encourage you to, you know, get a pen. If you, if you like electronics, you know, I, 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 I caution you with electronics because unfortunately our electronics are connected to notifications and other things that we can click on. But a pen and paper, you know, there's no notification. Hallelujah. You can stay focused in. But I encourage you, you know, I never forget meeting my Southern Baptist uncle. Hallelujah. He's my wife's uncle. He's my uncle, you know, because he's mine. But I didn't know, I didn't know that that Baptists believe in hearing God's voice until I met him. What do you mean? Well, you know, because I come from a church where, there, you know, there, there, there's, you know, I, let me say it like this. A lot of times when you're part of a denomination, that's the denomination, even if they don't say it. And we have issues with other denominations. And I, I assumed, you know, that my Baptist friends, they didn't really hear God's voice. They read the Bible. They believed the scriptures. My uncle, he, he told me one day, he says, you know, I have a pen and a pad next to my bed. And he's like, it's just in case the Lord wakes me up to speak to me. And I was like, hallelujah. I can be a Baptist. Glory to God. <laughs> amen. Amen. Oh, man, God is so, I just want to keep singing in worship, to be honest with you. Amen. We serve a good, good God. Amen. He is awesome. But God is speaking, and God wants to speak to us just like he did to these seven churches in the book of Revelation. Now, we're going to transition in this book because now we are moving into the third part, right? Jesus, in chapter 1, he said that, you know, that he would write the things that were 
the things that are and the things that will be. And so three different parts to his communication with John. So the things that were, the things that he already knew of, the things that were at that time, the things that were happening then he spoke of. And then this third part of the book of Revelation is the one that I think that we think about more often is about the future, what is going to happen, what is going to occur in the future. But what God does is immediately in the beginning of this revelation, he takes John into the spirit and he lifts him up above what is going on in the present to show him what is going on now, what is happening at that moment, and what will continue to happen until the culmination of all things. Are you with me? He is, he is preparing him to understand, listen, John, I want you to see some stuff in the heavens. I want you to understand, for those of you that were here on Wednesday, and listen, I encourage you to be here on Wednesday night. Um, this Wednesday is, uh, according to my timetable, it's the end of our um, series that we're doing here on the Holy Spirit. But as we were sharing on Wednesday night and we were talking about this, I shared on Wednesday that there is this struggle between the natural realm and the unseen realm. There, there, there is this tension within our lives to realize that, hey, this realm here is real. We feel it, we taste it, we touch it, we smell it, we sense it. There is this realm, and we know that. However, there is a realm that we don't see that is just as real. I got one, oh yeah, hallelujah. <laughs> there is a realm and, 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 and we don't talk about this enough in church because I don't know why, but nonetheless, the fact of the matter is that when we gather to worship, I said as, as I was introducing the, the verse that this was happening right now. And you're like, well, I didn't see the four beasts. That's okay. They're there. I, I, I didn't see the 24 thrones around. I didn't see this, this throne that, that is seated and surrounded in glory. I, I didn't see that. It doesn't matter whether you saw it or not. It is here. It is present just as real. And we have to live in that sense, in that understanding that the spirit realm is just as real as the natural. I know you can't taste it and touch it all the time, but there are moments that you feel it. There are moments that you sense it. And it's not with, I mean, for me, you know, I feel my hair stand up, you know, sometimes. Not these, I don't have any there. But these, right? I don't, you know, there, 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 there's moments that, that, that you sense something deep inside of your core. Like the atmosphere is different. And it is because what God has done is he has introduced the spirit realm into the natural realm. God has entered into a place and he has moved. And I want you to realize this God wants to do that more often than we even realize. He wants us to live with an understanding of who he is. And so here's what, 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 I, what, what I want to talk about today. Today I want to talk about the one. I want to talk about the one. These two, we're, we're going to actually go through chapter 5 as well. So it's good that we have some time. Hallelujah. We're going to go through chapter 4 and chapter 5 because these two go together. And as, the, as we walk through Revelation, we'll probably be doing two chapters as it's at a time as we walk through because these, these visions that God gives John, they go together. They mesh together. But I want to talk to you about the one. And so if you look at your outline there, there is an obsession. There is an obsession of the romanticized idea of the one in the context of finding your soulmate or the person whom God has selected for you. You know, you're, you're looking like, man, I, you know, for those of you that are not married, you're looking for 
the one. I found the one, hallelujah. I found the one twice where he found me first and then he brought me to her, amen, hallelujah. But there is this obsession that is there, whether people say it or not, but on the other side, there is an equally dominant in the hearts of men, yet not always clearly vocalized, is a desire for the one in the context of worship. In our lives, we live our lives, and we are doing what? We are worshiping. We are created to worship. That is what we do. We get obsessed over stuff. Sometimes we get obsessed when I, you know, when I was younger now, it's, I'm definitely not obsessed. I'm, I'm probably the total opposite. But when I was younger and I got my first car, I was obsessed. Hallelujah. Right? Until I wrecked it a couple times, and it was like, whatever. I'm not going to make it look good anyway. But... That's how God liberated me from my obsession or my idol. That's what it is. But here's the thing. We can, we, we, we become obsessed with things. Whether I, I'm the type of guy, I go play racquetball, and my wife knows. Whenever I, she, she doesn't want me to start anything new. Because whenever I start something new, I got to have the best this, the best that. Within a month, I'm coming back with a list. Hallelujah. <laughs> See, she has a honey-do list. I have a honey-I-need-to-buy list. Glory to God. I'm like, babe, I need this. She's like, why do you need that? I'm like, babe, because I got to be the best. And so for me to be the best, I got to have the best equipment. I got, right? Like, you get obsessed with stuff. Because, but, but why do we get, I don't know, for me, I, I can tell you about me. I get obsessed because when I, when I utilize those things, it goes back to, I don't know if you remember when you were a little kid. Remember when you got a new pair of sneakers? You remember that? They made you run faster, didn't they? They made you jump higher. Did you remember? You, I, I don't know what happened to sneakers. Like, suddenly, when you got older, there was a place where it was like, man, they feel good, but I don't run any faster. <laughs> I don't jump any higher, right? But, it go, but, but listen to me. It goes back to that time when you were a kid and you got those new sneakers and, that, and, and it made you do things. And all of a sudden, there was what? There was like this super joy and satisfaction that grew up inside of you, right? And, 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 and what we don't realize is that that stuff is, is God saying, hey, there's things that should satisfy you on some level. But they shouldn't be ultimate things. They shouldn't. See, so I get all the best stuff because it does what? It brings satisfaction. Even if I'm not the best, I look the best. Come on now. <laughs> even, even if I'm not the fastest or the strongest, at least I look like them. Right? I look like I could be, glory to God. But there is a certain level of satisfaction that comes inside of us. And what we don't realize is that we are all striving for that life source, that wellspring, that satisfaction of soul that can only be satiated by the one who created us for himself. We are all seeking something Deep, we're looking for the one. We may be married, we may be single, whatever it is, but we're all looking for the one, that thing, that person, that place that satisfies our soul. And my brothers and sisters and those that I don't know, welcome today. I want you to understand that that thing you're looking for is not a thing, it's not an activity, it's not an event, it's not a promotion, it is none of those things. It is the one who created you for himself. He is the one. I want you to think about this this morning. The enemy is fine with our faith in God so long as we remain entangled in the cares of this life. 
The enemy is fine with our faith in God. He is fine with you saying, I believe in Jesus. He is fine with you getting up on Sunday morning and coming to church. He is fine with you singing songs, clapping your hands. He is, listen, he is fine with you coming a Wednesday night. He's fine with you coming to church every night as long as you stay entangled in the cares of this life. As long as this, see, see, there, there, there's this parable that Jesus communicates of a sower who goes out and sows, right? And if you remember the parable, there are four places where the seed fell, right? There was the one that fell on the, sh on the place that it was hard area, that rocky area, and the birds came and they ate it up. And then there was this other place where the seed fell, and it was shallow and it sprung up, but as soon as the heat came, it went away. But there was a third place that the seed fell. It was among the thorns. You know what the seed did? The seed seemed to grow just like in that other place, but guess what? The cares of this world choked out the life of that seed that seemed to grow. You know what the enemy wants? Let me tell you what the enemy wants. The enemy wants you to look like a Christian but bear no fruit. The enemy wants you and I to look like we're saved. To look like we're followers of Jesus. To learn the lingo of Christianity. To learn how to act like a Christian. He wants us to learn how to sing the songs. He wants us to get nice and comfortable around those who call themselves believers. But he doesn't want you to bear any fruit. You know what I think the enemy's, the, the enemy's strategy has been for the last, I can't even tell you how long. For, from the beginning, I believe this for sure. But I, I, over, over the few last decades, I think the enemy's biggest goal is to make the church look like the church without bearing fruit like the church. Is to make us seem like, man, we got it all together. We're good. You know, we, we, what is our goal? Our goal is to have a building. Our goal is to have this. And once we get that, then we must be fruitful. Satan doesn't care that you believe in God. He gets concerned when you disentangle yourself from the cares of this world. He cares when you start saying no to sin and start saying yes to Christ. He cares when you start saying, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm setting my alarm clock and I'm getting up to worship and pray and seek the Lord. He cares when you make those decisions. When you start changing your life to revolve around God, that's when he's like, hold on a second, hold on, time out, you did something different. I'm not with that for you. I want you to, to just keep living under the radar. Keep being a good person in society. Keep being the nice guy or the nice lady at work. Don't be a voice of truth. Don't be one who's actually about making disciples. Don't be one who is actually seeking the face of God, the presence of God. Don't, 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 don't. You don't have to do all that. Your life is okay. What do you need? The bishop says you need to pray. Who is the bishop? Come on now. The bishop says you need more of a prayer life. You need, you need to seek God more. You need to come to a prayer service, that bishop. He doesn't understand. You're, you're, I don't. I don't understand your life. I don't live your life. I'm not in your shoes, but I know one thing. I know God is a jealous God. I don't know that God, as a jealous God, he doesn't settle for just some of your life, part of your life. He wants all of your life. And you know what Satan is? Satan knows that. And so Satan can get you to just give a little. You're like, why are you talking about that? Because you need to know this. 
you need to understand that this is what the enemy wants. And see, for the seven churches here, what did the enemy want them to do? The enemy wanted them to be overwhelmed with their persecution. He wanted them to be overwhelmed with the hardship. With, we, we talked about those seven churches. I'm not going to go back and rehash all of them. You know, we only have time for two chapters today. I can't do three, right? But what the enemy wanted for those seven churches is for them to become overwhelmed by the things that were going on, whether good, right? You remember Laodicea, we'll talk, you know, rich, had everything. They, I, stay, just, you're, you're rich, you're good, you don't need anything. Repent, that, that this guy had, you know, that, that, you don't need to repent. Or you know what, you're like Philadelphia, you're weak, you don't, have, you don't have much. Be overwhelmed by that. Don't worry about being faithful. He wanted them to be that way, but what does God do? God says, John... Come up here. And it doesn't say, John, come up here. It's like, John, come up here. The scripture said it was like a trumpet blast. You know, any, anybody played the trumpet in this room, been around a trumpet once in their life? Come on, let me see your hand right quick. Okay. Look, trumpets are pretty loud, right? So imagine a trumpet from heaven. I'm just saying, right? Like, I'm assuming that was probably a couple octaves higher. Hello. <laughs> a couple of decibels a little bit amplified, right? And, then, and, and from heaven, he hears this voice that says, come up here. The first thing I want you to repeat after me is this. Say, beauty is for beholding, but fleeting. Eternal majesty is empowering and everlasting. Beauty is for beholding, but fleeting. Look at what we see here. and Let's just read this, verses 1 through 8. Look at this. After these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. So he's showing them something after what? After what he is seeing happening in heaven. Immediately I was in the spirit and behold a throne. Say throne. A throne set in heaven and one. Say one. One sat on the throne. I'm talking about the one this morning. And he who sat there was like a jasper, so like a greenish color, and a sardis, like a reddish color of stone in appearance. And there was some brilliance there. I'm throwing that in there for context. There was a, there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald, again, a deep green, but a, a radiant, glorious green that is, that is exuding the throne of God, brightness surrounding this throne. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And the, thrones, and the thrones I saw, 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes. Now, what we see here is what? We see these 24 elders, they are clothed in white robes, which means that they are righteous. White robes, robes of righteousness. So these are, these are representative, right? of us in the earth. Some people think the number 24 there is symbolic of the 12 tribes of Israel and then the 12 apostles of Jesus, right? Like somewhere around. Nonetheless, they're representative of all of the earth, right? The old covenant, the new covenant, they are there before God. They are on the throne. They are, they are, they are um, in white apparel 
before God. And around the, the there was a 24 others clothed in white, and they had crowns. They had already received their rewards. You guys have heard us talking about rewards, and those, those crowns were on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a cow. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like an eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day. Listen to this. And they do not rest day or night saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Beauty is for beholding, but it is fleeting. Eternal majesty is empowering and everlasting. The key word that we see in this chapter, in chapter 4, is the word throne. The word throne in chapter 4 is used 14 times. Throughout the entire book of Revelation, it is used 46 times. It's a very important word when you think about what is going on in heaven because God is trying to point us to the one who is on the throne. And here's what happens. When you read this story, you know what's easy to happen is that you get so caught up and mesmerized by all of the beauty that you see, and, and, you, and you start like me, I don't know, I, I look at them like, man, what is a Sardis, like, what does that even look like, like, what is this, you know, and, and I try to, and I, I can't even picture it, really, and then, I, and, I, and then I cheat, and I, like, try to Google a picture of Revelation 4, and I, and I, don't, I don't find anything that really satisfies, but ultimately, what, I, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to understand what's going on, you think of this sea of glass, I mean, this is beautiful, right, I mean, this, but, but here's what I want you to understand, this is not just beauty, this is majesty. This isn't just something to be admired. This is something that when you enter in, it should cause you to bow down. That's the reason why we have to understand that this realm is right now. It's not far away. We're not waiting to get there. No, no, this is right now at this exact moment. You may not see this, but this is now. Why does this matter? Because you need to understand you are living before the presence of the God who is sitting on the throne. You are living your life every day in that presence. You are No matter what you are doing, you are before the tribunal of God. Do you get that? See, we have to understand the majesty that is being manifested there. Scholars, they differ. The whole point of this throne or this picture there is not just on the beauty and the wonder of the throne room, but it is on the one who is on the throne. And you'll see in chapter 5, the one who was slain for us. The focus is on God. And scholars differ on the interpretation of Revelation, but they all agree here. That what John is doing is he is pointing to the sovereignty and the glory of God, which is the majesty of God. He's pointing, listen, his throne is surrounded. His throne is surrounded by great beasts, these animals that you and I, if we encounter them, you're like, thank God we didn't see them today. 
If we, listen, if you see a big pit bull, you get scared. Come on now. Seeing one of these creatures would cause awe in your heart. And guess what these creatures do? They bow to the king. These creatures that would cause us to run, that would cause, that, that would strike terror and fear in our hearts. These creatures, these living creatures, these beasts in the King James, they bow to the king on the throne. That's the one we worship. It's not just beauty. I know my wife read about the beauty of the Lord, and we know we worship him and the beauty of holiness. That's truth. That's, that's factual. But it is more than just, see, here's the problem with us, is that, you know, we, we, we worship beauty we, 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 instead of worshiping majesty. What do you mean? I mean, and, you know, and, and most guys, I mean, I don't know about all guys, but, you know, most guys, they remember that, that first... Enamoration, we'll call it that. <laughs> All the women in the room are like, yes, I am your first enamoration. Hallelujah. <laughs> and some of the young ladies, you, you, you remember that? Younger, older ladies, either, you know. You remember that, that th- there was just something and we end up worshiping that. Instead of appreciating that and worshiping the king. So we've got to make sure that we're worshiping him for who he is and that we are recognizing who he is. But again, remember, we've got to stay in context, right? He's writing to the seven churches. Think about how encouraging this is for those seven churches. To be reminded, hey, while you're going through hardship, while you're being called to repentance, while you're going through difficulty, while your faith is being tested, while people are being killed, this is what's going on in heaven. Look up. This is what is happening in heaven. God is on his throne. The king is there glorified. This is what is, wait, this is who we worship. We worship him because he is majestic. That's encouraging to them. It should be encouraging to us. God reveals himself in these scriptures that we looked at as the covenant God. The, what, do you, what do you mean the covenant God? The rainbow. Here's what I want you, to, what, what want you to do whenever you read your Bible. Whenever you read your Bible, especially something that is from Matthew on to Revelation, whenever you come across something that you're like, man, what does that mean? What, what I want you to do is I want you to pause, and I want you to think about, have I heard this before the book of Matthew? Have I read this somewhere before the book of Matthew? There is a reason why God communicates this thing of these stones, but then he says it's like a rainbow around his throne because remember the book of Genesis chapter 9? Genesis chapter 9, there was a rainbow that came into the picture, was it not? And that rainbow was the sign of God's covenant with who? His covenant with man. His covenant with all of the cattle, his covenant with all of the birds of the air, his covenant with all of the beasts of the field. So what were these animals, these living creatures? Was it not a lion that was up there symbolizing, representing the beast of the field that God made a covenant with? Was it not one that looked like a man? Is that not the person that God has covenant with? Was it not one that looked like a bird, the birds of the air that God made covenant with? Was there not one that looked like a calf, the one that 
that God made covenant with. What God is saying is the God who was back in the book of Genesis when you guys had flooded the earth was flooded. That God, the God of covenant, he is here over here in the New Testament. He is still the God of covenant. He has not forgotten his covenant. He is on his throne. See, we've got to know that is the God that we worship. Not some new God. This is the God of glory. This is the one who's on the throne. The one who doesn't forget what he said thousands of years ago. We think God forgot what he said to us a year ago, a month ago, a week ago. God is like, man, I said this thousands of years ago. I haven't forgotten. I haven't forgotten what I spoke to you. I haven't forgotten what I communicated to you. He shows himself in the eyes of these beasts and the size and the magnitude of them. He shows himself as all-knowing, as all-powerful. His throne is surrounded again by greatness that bows to him and looks to him in awe. His majesty is revealed, unlike beauty, hear this again, which should be beheld and admired. His majesty is to be worshipped and revered. Oh, we look at beauty and we say, you're beautiful. We look at beauty and we say, that is so majestic. That painting is so, yeah, beautiful, whatever. But when it comes to the king, oh, it's got to be different, church. It's got to be different. It's got to be something that is beyond that. Our hearts have to be moved. When we engage, hear me now, when we engage him in holy reverence, in surrendered worship, we, you and I, are empowered to live as overcomers. That's what the church is called to be, are they not? In the midst of it all, your car to be over. How do, how do you overcome? Well, man, you can't have your eyes down here in the earth. You can't be consumed by what's going on in this earth. You and I are followers of Jesus. We can't be entangled and overwhelmed by what's happening in this earth. We have got to be elevated to another realm. And that happens as we engage him in worship. That happens as we look at pictures like this. These, 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 these animals that you see, these beasts that you see, if you look back in the book of Ezekiel and you look back at the book of Isaiah, guess what? They were there. They were there. They've been there all the time. What is God saying to us? This is what is going on in heaven. Will always go on, has always been going on. And that is our encouragement. That helps us to move beyond. The second thing that I want you to repeat after me is this, that our worship needs to be in sync with the schedule of heaven. Hmm. Our worship needs to be in sync with the schedule of heaven. Look with me at verse 9. So verse 8 tells us what the living creatures do. Verse 9 says, whenever, say whenever. Whenever the living creatures give glory and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord. To receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. I ask you to repeat the word whenever because it tells us when whenever is. If you go back, what does it say? The verse 8, it says the four living creatures each having wings 
were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Church, our worship schedule doesn't start at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning. Our worship schedule, we need, listen, we need to set our worship schedule according to the schedule of heaven. We need to look at what is going on in heaven. Listen, it's us living our lives as worshipers. What, is, what, is the, what, was, what does the gospel of John say to us that the Father is seeking? What does it say he's seeking? Theologians? The Father is seeking worshipers. And I know, I know for us as guys sometimes, you know, we think about, oh, worship, man, I got to sing these songs. Oh, my goodness. It happens. It happens. Sometimes it happens to ladies, but it happens to men more often. The Father's seeking worshipers. Not men or women. Worshipers. He's seeking those who will look at what's going on in heaven, what's happening in the heavens. And say, wait a second, I want to be part of what is going on. I, I want my life in this earth. The living creatures surround the throne. They do not cease to worship God. The elders follow suit every single time. Whenever these beasts, these living creatures declare the holiness of God, they follow suit. They cast their crowns to the ground and they bow down in worship and they declare, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. This is constant and continual within the, the schedule of heaven. It is worship of God. God over and over and over again. It is the acknowledgement. See, we can rest assured that there is absolutely no time, listen to me now, which in which our worship of God is out of place. Now, there may be times that you starting to sing maybe out of place. Come on now. You know, you're in the middle of your cubicle at work, and you may not be able to just go, you know, all crazy in worship at that moment. In singing. But you should be Engaged in worship in every moment. <laughs> you should be engaged in worship in everything you are doing. That's what, that, that's, that's what, that's what I mean, that we need, to, we need to sync our schedule with heaven, right? Like, you, you know, you're in the car, some of you guys have the car, you have like two sides of the AC and you got the sync button, hallelujah. You know, somebody on one side of the car, they think that they want to be in Africa or something like that. In the middle, they're already in Florida. It's like, come on now, hello, hallelujah. And then it's like, this is too much. You hit the sync button, glory to God. Because it makes it like warm and just uncomfortable, right? Like, I, anyway, that, that, that's what happens to me. My wife, my wife gets cold on me, and she's like, babe, I got to turn this up. But then she, now she has a new trick. She just turns all the vents towards me. <laughs> she's like, I got something for you. I'm like, amen, hallelujah, hallelujah. It's cold in this car, glory to God. Uh, but the point is, you've got to sync up, right? You've got to sync your worship with what is going on in heaven. It is us learning how to live in a constant state of worship. It is us living as though, hear me now, our, our every breath depends upon and belongs to the creator. That's what it means to live a life of worship. 
as the, do, do you live like that? Do you live as though your every breath, like the next breath you take, like the next breath you take, like that belongs to the creator. You don't own that breath. Do you live like that? Like every breath. I know this is high. This is like way high. Yes, we're talking about the heavens. We're talking about the Holy One. This is how we are supposed to live as though my breath does not belong to me. Are you here? I, listen, I, I, I breathe because of God's mercy. We breathe because he allows us to breathe. You and I woke up today because he allowed us to wake up today. We don't just, oh, well, I woke up today because I'm a healthy person and I had my vitamins. And No, 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 you think all that. But go talk to some healthy people who found out that they had some kind of disease or they died just out of nowhere. It's not us. See, living our lives in real reverence for God is what we're called to do. Living our lives in a real fear of God is what we are called to do as though, as though our breath, because it does, it belongs to him. We are dependent upon him. The third thing I'll ask you to say with me is this. Say, Jesus is double worthy of worship. Jesus is double worthy of worship. Let's look at chapter 5. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look at it, so I wept much. Because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it, but one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of, of, the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne, our God is worthy. Jesus is double worthy. Let's pause for a moment in our reading. Jesus is first worthy of worship because he is part of the Godhead, which means that he is the creator. He is worthy of worship because he is the creator. But he is doubly worthy of our worship because he earned it as our redeemer. Solely because he's the creator, that's more than enough. Solely because he was part of what happened in creating this world and being the sustainer, that is enough for us to worship. However, he didn't stop there. Jesus came to the earth as a lamb slain for us. He came to the earth and earned the worship of 
listen, everyone that we see in the heavens. So the first picture we see in chapter 4 is we see God the Father on the throne being worshipped. And then the next picture we see is the Lamb of God, the one who was slain, the Son who comes, and he's doing what? He is the one who is worthy to take this scroll. Let's keep on reading. It says, now when he had taken the scroll... The four living creatures, the same ones from chapter 1, and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. What does that mean to us? That means that the same way that he, they fall before God the Father, they fall before God the Son. They are three in one. They have different functions, so you see them here in, in, separate, in, in a separateness. However, they are one, and so they fall down, they worship him, and they have what? Each having a harp. And a golden and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked. And I heard a voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I want you to notice this list of all the things, the power, the riches and wisdom, the strength, the honor and glory and blessing. These are all opposite of what Jesus got when he was on the earth. When he was on the earth, he got dishonor. He got disrespect. He was rejected as not being wise. He was rejected as being one who was used by demons. And yet, because he was slain and he overcame, now he is worthy. Now he is worthy of all glory. In verse 13, and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, now let's pause, I want you to go back, and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea, that means dead and alive, everyone, all that are in them, I heard saying, bless and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped. This is what's happening in heaven right now. This is what is going on in heaven right now. It is a worship fest. Come on now. It is a, an overwhelming revelation of who God is. It is an overwhelming revelation of his kingdom. And as our redeemer, he is the one that is worthy of releasing divine judgment. We're going to talk about this seal in detail next week, but a little bit today. He is the one who hears our prayers and appoints us as co-laborers. He said here he makes us kings and priests. And he is the one who is worthy of all creation's worship. Jesus is the one. Hello. So the first one I said, he releases divine judgment. There was nobody found worthy in heaven to do what? To open up the scroll. Nobody was found worthy. John wept. 
He's like, there's no one worthy. Uh, John, obviously, because when we're reading that, it doesn't make sense to us. Why would he weep? Because someone couldn't open a scroll. But John must have had an, a, an understanding, some kind of expectation of there was something important on that scroll that needed to be opened, that needed to be read. And John weeps, and yet one of the elders leans over and says, don't weep. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. Behold the lamb of God. Behold the root of David. Behold him. Look at, do you hear those words, behold? Please, please, just, I know you want to go to lunch. Come on. Behold. Ask the Lord, help me to behold. Help me to get out of my head. Help me to get out of my feelings. Help me to get out of my flesh. Help me to get out of this realm, Lord. Help me to behold. Help me to see. Glory. Help me. Listen, it's going to take some time. because you're, like, you're not just going to say, God, help me, and all of a sudden the light switch is going to turn on, and you're going to be like, oh, wow, that was behind there all the time. Mean it, God. I want to see. God, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not asking you to give me the vision you gave the apostle, but I'm asking you to help me to behold the Lamb of God. Help me to behold the Lion of the tribe. Help me to behold him. He opens the scroll. So what is the scroll? The scroll, in, in, in those times, the Romans, whenever they had a will or a testament, they would roll it in a scroll. They would have seven seals on it. And so obviously they knew this, and so when he saw the scroll, he knew that that was a will, that was a testament, that was something that had to be read. And there was only one person that was allowed to grab that. You know, now and nowadays you have to do your will and testament, and you know, a lawyer or somebody typically reads it if you have it set up like that, or a family member is given responsibility to read it. But in those times, it was the heir who had the right to come. That was the only one. Not a cousin. Not a brother, not, a, you know, not, 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 not somebody else, not someone that you like, the heir of the one who died. That's the one who was worthy. And you know what Jesus does? Jesus comes as the heir. He comes as the creator God, and he takes the scroll out of the hand of the Father. And he opens those seven seals as we'll look at next week. And what does he do? Those seven seals have to deal with the inheritance of the earth. And there's a story in the book of Ruth. It's this thing that we know as a kinsman redeemer. And in those times, again, remember what I said, whenever you're looking at something in the New Testament, you got to go back to the Old Testament if you want to understand it clearly. Don't just jump to a commentary. Don't just jump to Google. Do your homework. Open your Bible. Look backwards. Go, you know, you get, get yourself a good concordance and look at some stuff like that. But here's, here, here's what happens. This kinsman redeemer back in those days, if you found yourself in a place where you had, you know, you had to sell your property, because you're, you, know, you just couldn't afford it anymore. There was this thing called a kinsman redeemer. You know what they could come and do? If I had to sell my property and then I came to somebody who was my family and I could say, hey, man, can you buy this property back so that way I don't have to be in servitude the rest of my life? He could do that for you. You know what Jesus did for the earth? The earth has been given over because of sin. And what Jesus does as the kinsman redeemer, he comes and he is going to show his glory and power and he acts as our redeemer. The second thing I said was that he is the one who hears our prayers. It said that these elders and these, and, and these living beasts, they had these harps, right, which is symbolic of worship, is it not? 
and these bowls that were filled with incense, and these are the prayers of the saints. And so it should encourage us, and it would have encouraged the saints who read this then, that what? That God is listening to our prayers. But not just that. It says he makes us kings and priests or a kingdom of priests. So what does he do? He not only hears our prayers, but then he also empowers us to be his intercessors. He empowers us. Priests, they are the ones that go before God. They are the ones that offer sacrifice unto the Lord. In the Old Testament, the New Testament, what are you saying? He's saying that you are the ones that are offering yourselves, living, all of us, not just some of us, offering ourselves as living sacrifices. He empowers us to be his intercessors. The third thing here is that he is worshipped by all of creation. I love that, verse 11 through 14. I want to read it again before we wrap this up. Look at verse 11. It says, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. You, you get the multitudes that are there? I mean, magnitude saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them I heard saying, Blessing and honor, glory and power be to him who sits on the throne to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. In the book of Philippians, the apostle Paul says, Every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. You know what we see right here? Exactly what Paul said would happen is happening. Every knee bowing, every tongue confessing. Every single thing, not just some things, it says every creature. Not just people, every creature is worshiping him. Here's the thing, and I'm wrapping up. We cannot ignore, or we cannot be ignorant of the majesty in the heavens that invokes the worship of all. All of creation is worshiping him. We cannot be so consumed by the cares of this life that we disengage with the king and the kingdom, but we must lift our eyes up to the one who is doubly worthy of our worship. We can't allow ourselves to be consumed by the cares of this life. We can't allow ourselves to be overwhelmed with, listen, and I know that there, there's some heavy stuff that is happening in some of your lives. Some of you are, it's not as heavy, and there's, there's things that may be good that are distracting you. There, there's some of you, you got bad stuff going on that is distracting and entangling and sucking the life out of you. Bad or good, both things can entangle us and choke out the life in us. We cannot disengage from the king and the kingdom. See, because here's something that we have to realize. We have to realize this. Jesus, Jesus said to us through his disciples, how do we pray? And one of the things that we pray is what? Your kingdom come. That's what we're praying, church. 
I don't know what you're praying, but that's what we're supposed to be praying. Your kingdom come. This majesty that we see in, in your word, that we know is real now, your kingdom come. In my family, your kingdom come. In my workplace, your kingdom come. In my life, in my heart, your kingdom come. God, in our nation, your kingdom come. Lord, we want to see the kingdom. We want to see your power. We want to see your glory. Jesus, you told us to pray your kingdom in. And so, God, we're praying for your king. We are believing for your kingdom. But let me tell you something. Before we are going to see the kingdom in our world, we've got to see the kingdom in our own lives. We've got to be those who are engaged with the king, who are worshiping before this same almighty God that the elders, that the angels, that all of creation bows to and worship because they recognize his majesty. My closing question is this. Have you found the one? Have you found the one? Have you found the one that is worthy of worship? Have you found the one that is worthy not just of singing, but that is worthy of living obediently to? Have you found the one that is worthy of laying your life down for and is not in this human realm? Because if it is anyone in this human realm that you worship as the one, you need to repent because they are an idol in your life. Have you found the one that matters more than your children? Have you found the one who matters more than your spouse? Have you found the one who matters more than your paycheck? Have you found the one who matters more than your... Have you found the one and are you living like it? It's not just about saying, I found him again. Satan's cool with you saying, I found him. He's okay with you singing love songs to him. He's okay with you even crying every once in a while. He's not okay with you really giving your life to him. He's not okay with you really living for his glory. Have you found the one? And are you living like it? If you say yes, then praise the living God. You need to be praying that other people find the one. But if you're honest with yourself and you say, no, man, I, you know what? I, I found the one, but I'm not living like it. Because that's the problem with many of us is that we did find the one. We're just not living like it. We, did find, we, we encountered the one. We're just not living like it. And so today is the opportunity for you to humble your heart before the Lord and say, Lord, I want you to be the one. I want you to be the one that reigns in my heart. I want you to, be, well, listen, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you can pray this. You, God, I want you to be the one that rules my life. I want you to be the one that seats yourself on the throne of my heart in every decision, in every thought. In every, Lord, I want to live knowing that my breath doesn't belong to me, and that every time that I take a breath, and I realize because breathing is so automatic, we don't even realize we've taken 10 breaths before we think about it. But Lord, I want to live that when I realize I'm breathing, that I'm like, thank you, Lord. That when I get ready to act out, when I get ready to make it, that Lord, I'm thinking, Lord, I want to honor you. This life is not mine. And if you're in here and you do not know Jesus, you have not put your faith in him. You have not humbled your heart before him. Today, today, don't leave this place. I beg you, don't leave this place without surrendering your heart to the one today. Humble your heart before your God. He is worthy.
Hallelujah. Bow your heads with me if you would. I want you to just think for a moment. Are you living as though you found the one? Do you need to repent before the Lord today? Do you need to humble your heart before him today and ask him, God, I want to live for your glory. God, I want to live for your honor. God, I don't want to live this life any longer for myself. If you're not a follower of Jesus and that's you and you say yes to him today, cry out to him as I pray in this moment. If you need us to pray for you, we're here, and you can come forward and we will pray for you. If you do not know him and you want to make a commitment to him today, you can come forward and we'll pray for you. If you're in this place and you are a follower of Jesus, but you realize you haven't been following him as close as you should, and you realize that today, I ask you right where you are, humble your heart before God. Humble your heart before the king today. Lord, we worship you. Lord, we thank you. We honor you, Jesus. You are truly 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 worthy god we bless you because you you are the king who is worthy of worship you are the king who is worthy of our praise lord may you speak to our lives god speak to our hearts in this place Draw us near to you, Lord.